You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So if we started this morning with me asking you uh, a question like this, do, do you love, like, Christians? Do you, do you love other Christians? That might seem a little odd to you, right? But I got a feeling if I said to you, so do you love Christians? Um, I wonder if people would be tempted to say, uh, before I answer that question, could I ask you which Christians you're referring to? <laughs> or some of you might want to say, does that have to include family members who are Christian? Um, you, you know what friends are, right? Friends are God's way for making up for family. That's what friends are. Um, so one day Jesus is with his disciples. And he says to them, you're only going to have me with you for a little longer. And he was obviously talking about the fact that the crucifixion was imminent. And he says, so I'm giving you this commandment. Here's the commandment. Love one another. So I mean, I want you guys, those of you who are my disciples, my followers, I want you guys to love each other. And, and then he qualifies it and he says, this is what I want that love to look like, okay? As I have loved you. And you know where that took me, right? So you should love one another. And by this way, everybody will know that you are my disciples because of the way that you love one another. So how are we doing so far? Everybody good? So Jesus says, here's the deal. I want you to love one another, right? And, and here's the way it looks. I want you to love each other with the love that, that I have loved you. So all of you in front of me today, Jesus is saying, if you're my followers, you're my disciples, I want you to love each other. And, and everybody in the world will know that you are my disciples because they are amazed at the way you guys love each other. So we're good so far, right? So let me, let me make a statement and tell me how, how this hits you. You ready? The way that we know, you and me, the way that we know that we are children of God is if we love one another or not. The, the way that we know that we have been born of God, okay, is whether or not we love one another. And you might want to say, wait, 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 what, what, what do you exactly mean by love when you say that? Well, let, let me not define it, but let me let Scripture define it for you, okay? So I want you to open a Bible this morning to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John, 1 John, the first epistle of John, chapter 3. It's almost all the way back to the book of Revelation. If you go to Revelation and you back up a couple of pages, you'll be in 1 John. And we're going to start with chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 1, okay? And John is talking about this commandment that Jesus gave when he was still living and the commandment was to love one another. So we'll start reading with verse 16. So if you want to talk about the definition, we'll get to it right away. Now, the first epistle of John is written by a guy, obviously, whose name is John. And he is the same John who writes the Gospel of John. And he is the same John who writes the book of Revelation. Uh, so when you read the first epistle of John, you may say, okay, it's a letter, right? Yeah, that's what the word epistle means. It's a letter. But it doesn't feel like other letters in the Bible, like... The letters that, you know, were written to like the Hebrews or even the first and second letter or epistle of Peter. It, it feels more like an essay to me. Or some of you may read it and you say, so when I read 1 John, I decided it felt more like a sermon when I read it. So if it is a sermon, 
you can tell immediately that it's from the heart of a really good pastor who wants more than anything else to build people up in the faith, to make people stronger in their faith, okay? And so here's, here's what he says in verse 16 of chapter 3. So we'll define love now. You ready? So this is how we know what love is. You want to know what love is? Here we go. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down His life for us. And so those of us who love each other, we should be willing to lay down our lives for each other. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words, not with love, rather, with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if your hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask, because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. So this is God's word for us today. I, uh, I was running into church one Sunday morning and had lots kind of on my mind and and when I got in the door um, of this church we were pastoring, and I had not been there very long, just about three weeks, there's this lady, um, and she says to me, you come here, young man. And in those days, I was a young man. And I kind of walked over to her. And I was trying to figure out if she had a grin on her face, if she was being humorous, or if she was being serious. And so when I got over to her, she said, let me tell you something. And that's when I decided that was not a grin on her face and she was being serious and not humorous. And, and then she said to me something that shocked me. She said, uh, all hell is fixing to break loose around this place. And so when I kind of leaned in and tried to understand what her concerns were, she was trying to say to me that she had some friends and they were joining forces and they were going to start a church fight. And they were not happy with some decisions that were being made around the church by its leadership. And I'm kind of scratching my head thinking, okay, the last major decision they made was to call me to become their pastor. So I didn't think things were going so well with her and me. We ended up not having a fight because she didn't, I guess, have the forces she thought she had. And what ended up happening was her and her family left the church, and I think the fight left with her. And so I was talking this week to a lady who attends our church, and she said, you know... Uh, my father was a pastor. And she said, I remember, I remember one time we were pastoring this church and things got really ugly and people were kind of fighting inwardly. And some people got really mad at my dad and some people got really mad at board members and it just got really bad until one night my dad had just put four new tires on his car. During church on a Sunday night, somebody slipped and ruined all four tires. 
So may I just say as, to a side note that if you have a problem with me, don't slip my tires. Just come and talk to me. We'll try to get it worked out. I, I think you hear those stories and, and you say, really? All that happens in church world? I mean, people who go to church get mad at each other and like fight and get in church fights? And I would like to think it's isolated and it's only happened a few times, but my fear is that in a less overt manner, it probably happens often in our churches where people are struggling and trying to gain power and frustrated and angry at one another. And all of that happens in the backdrop of John reminding us of Jesus' commands. Love one another. As I have loved you, you should love each other. And by this, everybody will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. And in verse 10, the paragraph previous to where I begin reading with you, John says, and this is the commandment that has been with us from the beginning, that we should love each other. I, I think I would understand if you said to me, why, why does John deal with this like us loving each other? Instead of saying, we should love everybody. I mean, for God so loved the world, so why don't we love the whole world? Why does he only talk about loving each other in this context? And I don't think by any means John is negating the fact that Jesus said, love your neighbor, which really meant everybody. But I think what he's getting at here is that if you and I can't love each other and get along with each other and have great respect and love and encouragement with one another, then how in the world are we going to love everybody else who doesn't even profess to be Christian? It's got to start here. So I decided that I think the best thing I can do is kind of look you in the eye and ask you to look me in the eye just for a few minutes. And some of you have to look on my eyes at the screen. I understand that. But these are simple questions, and I'm using John's language, okay? So if somebody asks you, are you a child of God or are you a child of the devil? What are you going to say? So I got a feeling almost everybody in the room would say, I'm not a child of the devil. <laughs> so if I ask you, do you walk in the light or do you walk in darkness? I got a feeling most people are going to say, I try to walk in light. Bless you. How do you know if you're walking in the light? How do you know if you're a child of God? So John starts this epistle by saying, you know what? The light appeared to us and we looked at him with our eyes and we touched him with our hands. He is awesome. And when you get to verse 5, let me, let me show you what he says, okay? Chapter 1, verse 5. Let me put the words on the screen for you. This is the message we heard from him, the one who appeared to us. And we declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. None. I mean, that is such a powerful statement. You know what that means? There is no hatred in God. There is no resentment in God. There is no record-keeping of wrongs with God. God is light and He is love. In Him there is no darkness at all. So if you and I claim, verse 6, to have fellowship with Him, but yet we walk in the darkness... 
We lie and we don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So, what John does as he works his way through the epistle that sounds more like a sermon is he talks about this idea of light and darkness. Now, when you get to chapter um, 2, verse 3, here's what he says. And he's really saying, this is how you know you're in the light. We know that we have come to know Him. We know that we're in the light if we keep His commands. So, it seems to me that he's saying one of the criteria of you knowing that you have been born of God and that you are walking in the light and that you're a child of God is that if you keep his commands. And he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, John says, that person is a liar. Man, that's really strong language, isn't it? And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone does obey his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. Now, look at, we move on to chapter 2, verse 9. He gives us another criteria. This is the way that you know him. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother or sister, I'm sorry, but they're not in the light. But anyone who loves their brother and sister is in the light. Wow. And, and it all comes to culmination in chapter 3, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are. And this is how we know who the children of the devil are. Anyone. I don't know that there's any stronger words in the Bible. Anyone who does not do what is right, meaning keeps God's commands, is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Just leave it there for a minute. I, I just want you to read these words because... It's not one of those mornings when you can kind of say, go ahead, Rick, preach to those guys because they need it. I mean, when I say look me in the eyes, I'm saying, we we all got to deal with this. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. And, And this is scripture. This is my stuff, okay? Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Anyone who does not keep his commands. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Okay, you can take it down. So the criteria for knowing if I'm a child of God is whether or not I keep His commands and I love my brother and my sister. So I'm I'm working through it this week like maybe you're working through it in your mind right now. And I'm kind of saying to myself, Rick, you okay? And I'm saying, yeah, I think I'm okay. And then I dig a little deeper and I'm beginning to understand the context better and it knocked me off balance for a few minutes and here's why. Let's just do a brief history lesson together. Can you do that with me? First John is written in about 95 A.D., In 95 A.D., persecution was expected by Christians. So if you're a Christian and you're living in 95 A.D., you're living your life with the assumption that chances are good, I will be persecuted because of my faith. Now, up until about a year ago, I think the persecution of Christians was something that felt very distant and ancient to us. But because of what's been happening in the middle eastern part of the world over the last year, 
I think it has come a little bit more into our lives. We have those images of those guys in orange suits on their knees on the coastline of an ocean and people standing behind them with knives ready to behead them. I made a huge mistake one day. I go online because of a sermon I was working on and I was wanting to think some about the persecution of Christians then in Syria. And I saw images of headless children. I wish I'd have never seen it. But you understand that now we are looking back to 95 AD and people who are followers of Christ are living with the awareness that chances are really good that I'm probably going to be persecuted at some point in my life because of my faith. So let me give you an example, okay? Because it was routine for a non-citizen to be tortured for information as a prisoner because it was routine for a non-Roman citizen to be tortured for information as a prisoner. Here's an example. I've decided, as a Christian living in 95 AD, that I cannot participate in worship of the emperor. I just cannot do it as a follower of Jesus Christ. I can only worship God. And so because I've decided that I cannot participate in the worship of the emperor, I am thrown in prison. And as a non-citizen of Rome, it is routine that people like me would be tortured for information about other Christians. And so think about the price that I might have to pay. Think about what it might cost me if I say there is no way I'm going to betray a fellow Christian to death. I will not rat out the other Christians. What might that cost me? What torture might I have to go through? Would it cost me my life? Now listen to the text again. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Whoa! Man, that verse just changed for me. Did it just change for you? When I realized the context that it is written and what people are really putting on the line, I'm saying, oh, I didn't understand that when I read it the first time. It was really about giving their lives. And Jesus says, when you love like this, I'm talking about a cohesiveness within the body of Christ to the where the world looks on and says, wow, those people must be Christian because nobody loves like Christians love each other. It, it moves us a long way from this little kind of pithy saying of, you know, well, I love you, but I don't like you. It's a sacrificial kind of love that says, you know what, I would, I would put my life on the line for you. And then, and then John kind of backs off a bit. And it's as if he's saying, I don't even know if it's a question of you putting your life on the line. I'm seeing some other things that really bother me. There's other things that you don't do for each other that really concern me. I was, I was getting ready to go to Africa just a couple of a month ago, actually. And, and I was in the airport to go to the small country of Swaziland. And as I was getting ready to get on the plane, um, I looked up and here comes a guy off the plane. 
um, who has been a part of our church for years, who is a, a friend. His name is, his name is Todd Brown. And Todd said, Rick. And I turned around and uh, I said, uh, what are you doing? And he said, I, I've been out of town for a work trip. And, and he said, where are you going? And I said, I'm, I'm going to Africa. And so we talked for a little while. Todd is, uh, Todd is a guy who was racing motorcycles years ago. And, and he had a wreck. And, and he was paralyzed from just under his arms down. Everything from here down is paralyzed. And Todd said, I, w- I wasn't in denial by any means. I just had businesses that I had to run, and I couldn't just, you know, sit down. And so he bought a truck where he could use the gas with his hands and the brakes with his hands and do everything else. And he got a wheelchair, and he began to strengthen his upper body. And you should see him. He just wheels up in his wheelchair to his pickup truck. He pushes himself up in, grabs the chair, breaks it down, throws it in the seat beside him, and he takes off, and he has lived life. But because of some needs that he had uh, with his paralysis, um, medical supplies, he kind of started this little business that turned into this international company that is huge. And I go into his office sometimes, into this office building, I just go, Todd, it blows my mind that you built this thing from the ground up. It's amazing. And, And he's quick to give God the credit for everything that's happened. Sometimes I look at the way he lives his life. He coaches ball. He works with teenagers. He just, he does everything from this wheelchair. And I just say to Annette, if I ever complain again, would you just show me a picture of Todd Brown and then just kick me in the seat really hard? Would you do that for me? There's no reason to not move forward with life, you know. And so he says to me at the airport, Rick, I'm walking away. I turn around. Don't forget, if you find somebody that needs me, hook me up. I said, okay. And so one day I'm in Swaziland and we are with this AIDS task force going from house to house. And when we finish up, there's one bucket of food left that we didn't give away. And so the ladies from the church who are with me say, could we go by this one friend of ours, his home, and could we give him that bucket of food? He had an accident and he's paralyzed. We said, sure. We'd love to meet him. He goes to our church, they said. Yeah, that would be great. And so we go. We give him the bucket of food. Here's his picture. His name is Masibo. 26 years old. And as I'm standing there just visiting with him, you know what he says to me? (laughs) He begins to share with me his need for medical supplies related to his paralysis. I said, you know, Masibo, there are times in my life when, when I have no doubt that God has just put me somewhere for a reason. And today is one of those days. May I tell you a story? And, and I told him the story about running into Todd in the airport. Who, Masibo, is your exact position physically. And he started a company. And all of those supplies that you're telling me that you need... He has them all. And so when I got home, I texted Todd his picture. And I gave him his name and his address and his phone number. And Todd says, I am all over this one. And so just a few weeks ago, Ellen Marsh went to Swaziland with huge amounts of medical supplies for Masibo. 
So, what are you saying? I'm saying Todd Brown is one of those guys who has material possessions but is unable to look at a brother and sister in need and not become concerned. And so he gives. I think John is saying this. I'm talking about laying down your life. But you know what really bothers me? I'm not seeing some of you even reach out to a brother or sister who's in need. Can the love of God be in you? So in my lifetime, I don't know that it'll ever come to a place that I will be required to give my life for one of you. But I think what John is saying is, what about giving a few bucks? Or what about giving an hour of your time? Or what about helping with a child? What about looking around at your brothers and sisters in need and getting involved in their lives? I'm talking about a sacrificial kind of love that you love one another with that is so cohesive that the rest of the world looks on and says, those people must be Christians because nobody else loves like Christians love. And Jesus says, everybody will see you and know without a doubt, these must be the disciples of Christ. They're different than everybody else in the world. So Paul has created, I mean, John has created a dilemma, and he knows it. (laughs) And the dilemma that he's created is by saying things like that, the way that we know we're a child of God is if we love one another. And he says, I understand that some people are going to be questioning whether or not they are really born of God. And so he says, as I read you a moment ago, there's a couple of ways that you can be reassured in your heart that you are a child of God. And he says it this way, if your hearts condemn you, God is greater than your hearts because he knows everything. And what John is saying is there is true legitimate guilt that we sometimes have about not acting on the behalf of our brothers and sisters. And there is also false guilt that we have on behalf of not acting on our brothers and sisters. And he says, God knows your heart. Relax. Your heart may condemn you, and there's no legitimate reason for it. So you can just rest in the fact that God knows the intent of your heart. And he says, if your hearts do not condemn you, number two, then you can just rest in peace in your relationship with the Father. Here's the key. Be true to your heart. I mean, you can tell some people anything you want to tell them. They have no reason not to believe you. But when you get up in the morning and you find that quiet place to pray and you're doing business with God, you're not going to fool either of the two in that conversation, yourself or God. You've got to listen to your heart. And the vehicle through which Christ indwells our heart, John says, is His Holy Spirit. Um, I need to wrap up, and I will. 
I think somehow we've got to bring it down to life. So we've talked a lot about loving one another. Let's talk about the command side of his instruction. This is the command, he says, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, his son, and to love one another. I'm looking at people this morning who would say to me, hey, Rick, guess what? I have based my whole life on Jesus. I've put all of my trust in him. I'm not, I'm not saying that if I love my brother and if I keep commands, then me and Jesus, we are good. I'm in. No, I know it's a faith journey. I know it's about believing on the name of Jesus Christ and putting all of my faith in Him. This is not about keeping rules and do's and don'ts. This is about a relationship with Christ in which He enables me to love my brother and to keep His commands. So Annette and I, we are spending some time together yesterday, about two hours in the afternoon. Just wanted to see each other. Kind of a busy day. And uh, we're driving, and she says... um, so what's the sermon tomorrow? I'm trying to remember. And so I told her. And so we begin to talk about it, and we start asking each other this question. So is there a Christian that is really hard for you to love? We were asking each other the question. And immediately, a face and a name comes to my mind. And I said to her, I think my greatest challenge is this guy. So several years ago, we resigned from a church because we believed God was calling us to and go to a different church. And this guy, I thought, was my closest friend. I mean, we were close friends. The the, the only thing I I, I could assume, and this is a guess, I don't know, maybe he did not agree with me making the decision to leave. But he was very cool with us after we did. And on our way out the door of that church, just as we were getting ready to move away, he did something that hurt us as deeply as I feel like Annette and I could be hurt. So so we had had eight years at this church. We, We loved it. All these great memories. And we just were celebrating all that God had done in the eight years. And and then all of a sudden, just, just before we walked away, there was this horrible, heavy cloud that came over us. And, and, and honestly, that's been a long time ago. And, and to talk about it now, it still stings. It still hurts. So you're probably sitting there looking at me saying, so, Rick, do you love that guy? You lay down your life for that guy? Here's what I believe. If I'm not struggling... And concerned about the fact that I'm struggling to love him like I need to love him, then I think I'm in trouble. I don't think I ever have the right to say, he hurt me, I don't like him, I don't love him. Whatever with him, it's never an option. So let me take it one step further. You may say, well, hey, 
maybe people aren't Christians who do really bad things to people anyway. Maybe they're wearing the label Christian. And in this context with John, isn't he saying love one another? So if the guy's not a Christian, he's not another, right? And so don't I get off the hook loving a person who does really bad things to me? They may not even be Christian. Yes, in this context, you are off the hook. You don't have to love the guy. But in Jesus' words, love your neighbors yourself, you're back on the hook. Because your neighbor is everybody that God brings into your life. Here's what I'm trying to say, okay? This is it. The way of the Christian is to love everybody. There is no other option. If you are following Jesus, you are to love people. That's the bottom line. The way of the believer is to love. There's not, there's not options in this. This is what God calls you to. Here's my struggle with the whole thing, though. It comes first to me as a command. This is the command I give you. But then John qualifies it this way. He says, this is how we know that we're children of God. If you love one another. In fact, he says it really plainly. If you don't love your brother or sister, you are not a child of God. That means, if I don't love somebody, this is not an issue of behavior modification. Oh, I'll just make some adjustments in the way I'm behaving and I will just get myself back on track. No, I think John is saying there's something major wrong in the heart. This is an issue of grace. I had a professor once in seminary who said, some people are just EGRs. They're just extra grace required kind of people. I know a few. You're going to be eating lunch with extended family today and one of your relatives is going to say something stupid and you're going to go, that's eh, an EGR. They just take extra grace. I do think often it's an issue of grace. And so here's how I want us to close our time together, okay? I want us to bow our heads. You mind closing your eyes? Is that okay? What I'm asking you to do is pray. And here's what I want you to just take some time to say. Holy Spirit, search my heart. I do not believe that John was saying, I want you to question your salvation. I do not believe that was his intent. But I do believe he was saying, I want you to let the Holy Spirit examine your hearts. Those are very different. I don't think he was saying, I want you to question whether or not you're really saved. I think he was saying, I want you to let the Holy Spirit look into every crevice of your heart in regard to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you can't love them, how in the world do you hope to love somebody who is so far from Jesus, who thinks so differently than you do, whose values are so far from yours? And so in these next few moments, I'm going to be quiet. And as I'm quiet, I'm just going to ask you to take some time just to pray, okay? And then in a moment, I'll kind of pray for us all. So, Father, thank you for hearing us right now as we pray.
there's grace needed, would you let grace freely flow? Where, where there's real heart change needed, would you change our hearts? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why don't we stand together and let's sing. And altars are always open, but let's, let's focus on these words together today, okay?
So let me leave you with the words of Christ, okay? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.